Well, good morning, and Merry Christmas. It is the most wonderful time of the year. Have you ever heard that before? I want to encourage you folks again, uh, so take pictures. So if you've got a Christmas card or a Christmas photo that you're going to be taking, send that into our church so we can use that for our photo directory. We have a picture wall back there, so if you need to take a picture, we made a wall. Just trying to encourage you, take a family picture, send it into us so we can update your church directory. So your four-year-old child that's now 27, everyone understands what they look like. So let me encourage you to do that. Also, if you get an opportunity to write a thank you card to this anonymous donor, I have a way now to connect to them. I still don't know who it is. But if you'd be willing to write a thank you card within the next week or two, give that to the church, and we'll make sure, as best we can, we'll try to get it to that person. The last few months, we've been working through the book of 1 Corinthians. That plan was to continue that today. But we're not going to, so we're just taking a break because of some great things that have been happening, so uh, the schedule is flexible. Um, so we'll pick up 1 Corinthians here in 2019. The next three weeks after today, we'll be working through the Christmas story. But we need to stop and remember, don't we? So if this is your first time here, you're like, what on earth are you talking about? We'll get into that in a few seconds. But we need to stop and remember, stop and praise, and consider all that God has done. So how do we remember how do we remember so if you look at your bulletin you see over 390,000 came in to help pay off this debt that's going to be matched by this anonymous donor so it puts us in over three quarters of a million dollars it's gonna be paid off on our debt and all God's people said amen amen is it it's awesome now who gets who gets the credit for that God it's no, it's us because we're such a great church and we're so faithful. But, you know, it's, we're tempted to think that, aren't we? Because we're in the right spot or our faith is great or because we're going, why did God choose Abraham? Why? Why did God save you? He wasn't getting a deal or a bargain. It's just grace. Unending grace to an undeserving people. That's how salvation comes. That's how every good gift that comes down from above comes from our Father lights in whom there's no change. It's just grace. Undeserved favor. And folks, we got a waterfall of it. We know it's new every morning. We forget, and every now and then God just seems to show up and go, let me remind you who I am. So how do we remember this? How do we put ourselves in a place where as best we can, because we're human, we're flawed beings, how do we put ourselves in a place where we can remember what God has done? Why don't you turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4. I think there's some lessons here for us in remembering the work, the mighty work and the mighty hand of God. In fact, let's start, before we get to chapter 4, flip over to chapter 3, Joshua chapter 3, we'll start at verse number 5, and we'll push forward, we'll try to read through some of these verses, I'll try to stop as we're going along, right at the very end is where we're going to look at a few things we can take away. Joshua 3, verse 5, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And we'll be able to see wonders here look down at verse number nine joshua said to the people come here and listen to the words of the lord your god and joshua said here's how you shall know the living god is among you 
that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Gergesites, Amorites, and the Jebusites. So God wants them to know two things. He's trying to teach them two things. First, God is among you. Secondly, God wanted them to know that he would keep his promise to drive out the people of the land and to give the people of Israel the land he'd promised Abraham over 400 years prior. That's a God-sized promise. And God says, I deliver. What I say happens. Let's keep reading verse number 10. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into Jordan. Now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the souls of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. The waters coming down from the heavens above shall stand in one heap. And so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as the bearing the ark had come, as far as the Jordan, the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The water coming down from above stood and rose up in a, very, in a heap very far away. At Adam, the city is beside Zarathan, and those flowing down between toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. The people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over dry ground until all the nation finishing passed over the Jordan. Now if you've grown up in church, you've heard the story 25 times. If you haven't, join us in trying to imagine what this is like. Imagine our church going over to the Maury River today. Our deacons taking a little communion table. And as soon as their feet hit the water, the water <laughs> just dissipates. And then a wall, a quarter of a mile or a mile down to our right and a quarter of a mile to a mile down to our left, is standing up like a wall of water. And there's no muck or mud, but desert to walk across on. Dry ground. You would think to yourself, this isn't normal. I've not seen this before. Wouldn't you? You'd just be like, what's going on? <laughs> I want to go to this church. This church is sweet. What's happening here? And they're just, <laughs> God shows up. He's doing your work. It's to remind them, I'm with you. I will keep my promise. That's what he said. That's what he's going to be doing. So what happens next? Look at Joshua chapter 4 now. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over when you, with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. So Joshua's asking each tribe to select one person. Each person's going to grab one rock, and they're going to carry it with them to their next campsite. Verse 4, then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. Joshua said, pass on before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the midst of Jordan, and take each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. A sign? A sign of what? He continues, when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them when the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial 
forever. Do you get what's happening here? They're witnessing a wonder of God. They're witnessing something that maybe if they told the generations that follow, they're like, "Mm, yeah, right. Yeah, right. That's just, or, you know, are you sure? Be positive that this happened. But they're to take up these stones, pile them up, make a memorial out of them. And when people pass by, this is their liberty bell. This is the national, this is their declaration of independence in D.C. When people are going there and they're seeing this thing, they're going, what happened again? What, 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 what exactly happened? They signed this and this. All, all right. It's like, no, it happened. Look, there's their names. There's John Hancock. This is what these stones are to do, is to remind them of what has happened. And when generations that follow would pass the memorial, you're going to get out of a child, right? It's out of the mouth of babes. You're going to get out of a child a question of curiosity. Hey, uh, hey, Dad. Hey, Mom. What's that? I haven't told you about that? No, it's just weird. I mean, it's like tr- stones. Pilot, what's, what's going on? Son, daughter, you're not going to believe. You're not going to believe this. But when I was your age, we, we were coming in to the land, and, and God promised, I mean, he's going to drive out the people, which, he, which he's been doing, but I mean, he split the river. I mean, he's standing up. And I know you're not going to believe this, but he did it, and we walked on dry ground. I can't believe I haven't told you this. It's a memorial. It's a teaching tool to remind their children and their children's children of the faithfulness of a God who alone is God, who alone can do works like this. Let's continue. Verse number 8, And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded, took up the 12 stones out of the midst of Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people, just as the Lord told Joshua, they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. So they obeyed. They grabbed the 12 stones. They took them over. However, Joshua's going to build his own memorial inside the riverbed. Look at this, verse number 9. Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, as they are there to this day. So where the priests were, he built another memorial, 12 stones inside the riverbed. And you see this phrase, (coughs) and they are there to this day. Why mention that? If you're an author of Scripture, why write, and they are there to this day? And you'll see this throughout Scripture. They're going to give you names, dates, places. They're going to have phrases like this, and it's almost like fact check. You don't believe me? Go look. Because they're still there today in the middle of the river. They're there. They're also, as we'll see, in Gilgal. So Joshua builds a memorial in the middle of the river. The 12 men got their stones. Everybody's crossed. Now the priests are going to come out, verse number 10. The priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished. The Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according that Moses had commanded Joshua, the people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people, Sons of Reuben, sons of Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh passed over, armed with the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over for the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On the days of the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. Again, this is not a tiny, you know, creek. 
that come up out of there. The water is below them. They're now in the bottom of the riverbed. Come up out of there. And when the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, the soles of their feet were lifted on dry ground. The waters of the Jordan <laughs> returned to their place. And they overflowed its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they were encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. Here he goes again, giving dates, right? In the 10th day of the first month, the Jewish calendar, this is late March, early April. It's a time frame of celebrating the Passover, which they would do four days later, uh, as we see in chapter 5. But the date, again, points through reliability of the author. He's as if he's a journalist taking eyewitness account notes. And since it's early spring, we also know that the runoff from the northern mountains would have overflowed the banks of the river. So again, he's just pointing to this is just what happened. These details help you understand the veracity of the story. But what happens to the 12 stones from the 12 leaders? What do they do with those? We know Joshua made a memorial. But look at verse number 20. What do they do? The 12 stones which they took out of the, out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. Gilgal is about 12 miles north of Jericho, about 29 miles northeast of Jerusalem. This is where they camped when they first crossed the river. So once they arrive, Joshua grabs the 12 stones. He sets up another memorial, right? Joshua set them up, verse 20, at Gilgal. And he reminds them again of why he's doing this. And what does he say in verse 21? He said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? And you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. And the Lord your God did to the Red Sea what he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. That's where I'd like to point out a few things. Verses 21 through 24, you have this physical reminder, right? These stones, it's a physical reminder reminder the 12 stones piled up in some fashion as memorial the physical reminder triggers for us in your memory triggers for us the work of god this wonderful work of god the story like all good stories has to have a point well what's the point of this story there are two points that joshua tells them two points they need to understand two truths they need to walk away with from this story the first one if you have our point here on our powerpoint slide the first one is that God is God alone, right? He says that God does work so that everyone knows that he is God alone, verse 24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. He alone can do what we just saw. He is God, and there is none like him. He is God, and there is no other, as Isaiah 45 says. Everybody else is small g, because they're fake, they're false, but he is God. And there's no one like him. But we know everyone knows that God is a powerful being. Romans 1, 19 through 20 states as Paul says, listen to Paul's words in Romans 1, for what can be known about God is plain to them, plain to the world. Why? God has shown it to them. For the invisible attributes of God, namely, listen to this, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Every living being 
can perceive and understand there is a God and he is powerful and he is beyond us. So why do a, a supernatural work then? Every now and then, every now and then, God decides to show up to do something extraordinary. Supernatural. Something only God can do. A God-sized something. Just to remind us, I told you, that's who I am. You can see it everywhere around you. Let me draw your attention to me once more. I am God. I'm God alone. And only I can do something of this magnitude. And we see that this happens, right? It's not just the Israelites that are going, what? Look at chapter 5, verse number 1. What do the surrounding nations do when they hear about this and they see this? Perhaps there's somebody leading their sheep or grazing cattle and all of a sudden the water is just like, What's happening? You see the people of Israel coming across and they're running back. We have a problem. We have a problem. Have you seen what their God can do? Look at chapter 5, verse 1. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel till they crossed over, their hearts melted. And there's no longer any spirit of them because of the people of Israel. You hear this from Rahab, the prostitute as well. Your God can do what? You kidding me? So that all the peoples of the world will know my hand is mighty. I am God alone. Period. There is none other. How can we face the people? Can you see like the, the enemies? How can we face the people whose God can do that? They knew the God of Israel was mighty. No one compares to him. So why does God do this? Why does God grant a little church in a little town a staggering gift towards their get debt? Why did he part the waters? Why did he calm the sea when he is with the disciples? Quick reminder the planet earth i am god there is no other there are things that can only be explained by god being god and by god doing something only a sovereign creator can do he's powerful no one can match him no one can outdo him brother sister isn't the hand of our lord mighty hasn't he shown us a god-sized wonder even people on our facebook page that have never been to our services just going what people calling me going are you serious what on earth's going on are people calling me that don't go to church what's the update now where are you at now and you're getting on you may have gone on facebook expecting it's going to go up again we don't dictate what God does, but isn't it crazy to think that you were expecting God to do more than he already did? You're like going, this is crazy. Who does this? God. 
He does. He's at work. And that's the first lesson, O Israel, to learn. The hand of your Lord is mighty. God is God alone. Brother and sister, a lesson in Baptist Church. This is your first lesson. God is God alone. He is mighty. So secondly, we see not only God is mighty, but also we ought to fear him. We ought to fear him, that God's people would learn to fear him as the only God. Look at verse 24. So all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. That's all the peoples of the earth. But what about you, O Israel, that you may fear the Lord your God forever? Fear the Lord. To many this means, and many think that this was just a speaking of solely of reverence or of respect, perhaps this reverential awe. And that's, that's not wrong. In some respects, that's right. But there's also a sense where fear means fear. I don't know about your father growing up. I loved my dad, and I knew my dad loved me. I had a healthy fear of my dad. He reminded me, I, right, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. We can always make more children, right? So he had a healthy fear, but there's still, I knew he loved me. You're like, well, I don't know that we ought to fear God. Like, oh, fear God. Okay, let's take God out of the picture. Just think of angels. Think of every response a human being had with an angel in Scripture. What's the response of the human being? This is normal. Hey, Gabriel, what's up? Why does every angel have to say, fear not? Why appear to shepherds? Why those shepherds? They're leading the best flock. They're just in the field in Bethlehem. Congratulations, God's favor has shined upon you. Go tell the world the babe has come. Why us? And what's their response? What are the angels saying? Fear not. Behold, we bring you good news of great joy. What's their first response? What? We're going to die. There is a reverential awe. There is a respect. There's also a tinge of shuddering, of shivering at his magnitude. You're like, well, no, that's, well, it's, it's angels. What about Jesus? Remember when the disciples were on the sea and the storm is going and then Jesus comes up and he says, peace, be still. And the storm, have you ever been in a storm, the tumult, and then, guess at what point in time the disciples were said to have been afraid. After the Lord of glory said, peace, be still. And what does he say to them? Don't be afraid. Mark 4.41, they're filled. After Jesus says, peace be still, they're filled with great fear. Who does that? There's a sense of safety. I'm in the boat with him. Good for us. But who am I with? Who am I with? There's a sense of great love 
insecurity, but also a sense of like, ooh, who is this? That can just calm and speak to the winds and waves and nature, just obeys him like that. They're filled with great fear. How does stopping a running river lead people to fear God? How does parting a sea lead the people to fearing God? How does calming a storm lead people to fear God? How does paying off three quarters of a million dollars in less than 35 days lead people to fear God? It's when we see the mighty hand of the Lord. It's when we see the omnipotent one touching earth and showing up. We stand in this reverential awe, yes, but we also shudder and we shiver at his brilliant omnipotence. God is among us. God is among us. Who does that? So he's God. He's God alone. So we ought to fear. And we say, we rejoice that our God can do that, but we also rejoice, I'm on his side. I'm on his team. He has made me his own. Praise God. It's a physical memorial. It's a tangible reminder, a lesson to the world of who is omnipotent and who is not, and a lesson to God's children. Remember who I am. Fear me. We do not have a physical memorial here yet. I think we should put something up somewhere that we need to see every week we come in here to remember what God did in less than 35 days. Eventually the day is going to come, we're going to walk past it, we're going to walk past it, and you're not, right? It's going to happen. That's human nature. We're just going to walk past it. But your child or your grandchild He's going to walk in when they can finally read numbers and go, what's that? Hey, let me tell you. A visitor's going to come in. What on earth you got those numbers scrawled on the wall for? Let me tell you what God did for us. It's a physical memorial. Then gives us this tangible reminder. We were there. We witnessed. And what exactly did we witness? And if you're visiting here, let me remind you of what's happened. If you, you have no clue what's been going on these last few days. So on October 21, 41 days ago, we announced that someone was going to match any gifts towards the debt between the day, that day and November 30. Right? So we didn't know what was going to happen. And if you didn't know, we, we owed over 900000 towards our debt, and we weren't going to be paying it off until 2037, paying around $78,000 a year for possibly the next 18 years, 19 years. That's, that was our future. On October 28th, we took our first offering. That was 34 days ago. So what transpired in 34 days of giving? In 34 days, we saw $394,305.17 come to pay off the debt. That was just for the debt. That doesn't account for the $26,920 as giving in tithes and offerings, the $2,000 as given towards East or West Poplins, the building fund, the benevolence. When you add that up, that's $423,220.39 given in LBC in 34 days before the matching gift. 
So you take that amount, $423,220.39 in 34 days. That's $1 given every 7 seconds. $8.64 given every minute. $518.65 given every hour. $12,447.66 given every day for 34 days. From this crew, and you have an abacus sitting by, because we haven't added the matching gift to that total, which is $788,610.34. When you add that to this total, that's a dollar given every four and a half seconds, 13.35 given every minute, $801.43 given in an hour, $19,234.39 given per day. Our annual budget is $353,000. We gave more. We gave more in 35 days than we've given in a year. That's not normal. I don't know if you knew that. That's not normal. If you take the total amount with the matching gift, that's $435,000 above our annual budget given in 34 days. I forgot to mention that at a minimum, we also just saved over $365,000 in interest. That's if interest remains the same for the next 18 years. An economy stays as it is. It's more likely four hundred to 500000 I've been told. But at the minimum, $365,000 was saved in interest. Add that to the gift given, and that's $1.2 million that we no longer have to pay. That is a crazy amount. And to help you understand, that's 192 monthly payments in 34 days. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? What should we do? Folks, we have to remember God's mighty work. From the day you accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior, you've ever done that. Remember that. Remember how God brought you to himself. Remember the great works God has done. But add this to your list. But count those blessings one by one. Put this somewhere in that top 10. Recognize who is omnipotent and who isn't. If you're here, you don't know Christ as your Savior, I beg you, friend, accept him today. He is enough, and he is great and mighty enough to part the seas. He is mighty enough to calm them. He is mighty enough to bring in that amount of money to this church. He's also mighty enough to save you from your sins. Third, fear the Lord. Have a reverential awe. We should have a reverential awe and a great respect for our God, but also embrace a tinge of terror. Like the disciples had when saw Christ calm the sea, wonder, marvel at what he could do, have a good shiver at his magnitude, his immensity, his omnipotent grandeur. Fourth, on a very personal, practical level, let me encourage you, to thank those leaders who had faith that God would provide for this building eight, ten years ago. I don't know who set up the meeting. I don't know whose idea it was. I don't know what the vote was. 
I don't know who is for, who is against. I know there's some mild opposition to it because of the debt that was coming. I'm not here. I'm not going to look up the records. I don't care. But at some point in time, eight, ten years ago, there's a group of men that you elected, as you thought men led by the Spirit of God, that you elected, and they pushed this idea in front of the church, and the church approved it. But they believed that there was going to come a day where this building would be paid for and that God would provide. Did they think this would happen? Did you? No. No. Just goes to show God works through flawed people. You'll never elect a perfect deacon. But you can elect one led by the Spirit of God. You'll never call a perfect pastor. I am witness to that. We're not. But you can trust that God can work through flawed people. You can recognize that God can work through flawed people. So let me encourage you, brother, sister, thank those people that helped bring this idea to fruition. On top of that, think through that vote many years ago. Whenever that that vote happened, think through that vote. Would votes have been different had we known today, had we known then what we know today? Do you think the vote would have been different? Absolutely. But we don't live by hindsight. We live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. I hate debt as much as anyone I know. I don't like it, but I still have to buy a house. Still got to pay it off. And God in his kindness, in his grace, not because we're great, not because somebody had great faith, in his grace, he decided, I'm going to touch earth. It's going to happen to be Lexington. You're the recipients of extra grace today. Thank you, Jesus. But just recognize that I can work through flawed people. Trust the flawed people you elect to be led by the Spirit of God. Second, on a, another personal, practical note for Lexington, let me ask you to pray for wisdom for our leadership and trust and unity for the body. You know, I've gotten over 20 ideas so far on how to spend this newfound money, right, that we're going to add to our budget. People, here's some great ideas. And that's not bad. We're going to get 500 more or more on what we should do, how we should do it, what's going to be the correct course. And you know what? Out of those 500, we may have 450 of them may not just be good. They may be great. But a law of averages, we're not going to be able to do them all. We may be able to do two or three. That means we may not do your best idea. That's, what's, that's possible. It's very possible. That's why we need you to trust a flawed group to be led by the Spirit of God. That's why we need you to pray that we'll have wisdom because we need it. So at the best case scenario, let's just say at the worst case scenario, worst case scenario, we start sending some of this money to a ministry you think should have been priority B or C and not your priority A. That's the worst case scenario. Instead of our money going to the bank, it's now going to your ministry, priority C. That's our worst case scenario. Praise God. We were looking at 2037 before we started dabbling into these ideas. Now we're looking at less than two years. So any idea, any ministry we give money to, other than the bank, 
I am for. Let's spread the gospel. If it's here, if it's across the world, if it's your friend or it's not, just go anywhere but the bank. Let's get it to ministry. That missionary, that missionary, I don't care. A missionary, let's go. That's a blessing. And that, to me, brothers and sisters, should be uniting for our church as we move forward. Going, well, yeah, it wasn't my priority, number one, but, man, can you believe what God is doing? It's awesome. So pray for wisdom. Pray for unity, because money divides. Pray for our church to trust. Pray for God to do a work that only he can get the credit for. I believe we've seen that. Let's not stop praying for it, though. On October 21st, 2018, I made an announcement of the matching gift to our church. After that announcement, we stopped, and we publicly prayed. We played, prayed in our rows, and I'm going to encourage you, because I think it's foolish if we don't do the same thing. I want us to pray, and families to pray together. If there's somebody in your row that doesn't have their family with them, have them come and have them pray with you. Pray out loud. You need to hear and understand God can hear 100 prayers at the same time, and he still understands. Don't worry about what your neighbor hears. Pray out loud, unashamedly, unabashedly, praising God for who he is. And I want you to pray through these things, as you see on behind you. First, praise God for his provision. Praise God for showing up. Praise God for giving us an extra measure of grace that we do not deserve. Pray that this, thank God, uh, secondly, for the matching donor. For this person, we don't know who it is. Brother, sister, this is an encouragement to you and I that how God can use one person. This is just financially. But how can God use you in your workplace? How can he use one person just decides, you know what, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to go that direction. I'm going to go forward. What can God use you to do? But thank God for this donor. Pray that the God that sees in secret will reward openly. We need to Praise, praise God for the sacrificial giving of this body. It's not normal. And that's why I wanted to say those numbers, because, brother, sister, you have to know how unbelievably overwhelmed we are by the sacrificial giving of this body. As I mentioned on a Wednesday night, this reminds me of the book of Acts, where people just start selling stuff and getting rid of things, just going, I don't need it. God, use it. And to see what God can do. Through this flawed group. It's amazing. We need to pray that the debt, this is my, I'm asking you to pray that the debt will be gone in less than two years. Currently, we can pay this off in two. I think we can do better. Pray that this thing will be gone in less than two years. I'm asking you to pray for that. Pray for wisdom, for the leadership as we discuss how to use these funds for ministry. Pray that the body of Christ will trust the leadership, pray for unity of the body. I don't want somebody to go, well, I wish we should have done that for this money instead of this going, brother, sister, this is not worth squabbling over. The money's not going to the bank. Yoke with us. Join us in praising God. Let's move forward. Let's use this for ministry. Let's use this to advance the gospel, and let's give praise to God. This should be a unifying moment, not a dividing moment, but money brings tension, doesn't it? Why don't you and your spouse go home and talk about money the rest of the afternoon and then come in Sunday night for our prayer meeting and counseling. It just brings tension. It just brings tension. 
pray that this will bring unity. That's a God-sized request. I'm, I promise you, I'm not saying that like you. This is a God-sized request. Lord, use, help us. He's now seen us fit to steward more resources. You understand what that brings? It brings a responsibility. That brings a weight. That brings a blessing. It's undeserved merit, but it's now ours to steward well. So we need wisdom. We beg you, pray for it. We need you to trust God to work through flawed people. He does that all the time. Pray he'll work through us. And pray for the unity of this body, that we will be able to continue not just to remember what God has done, but to see God take this extra stewarding grace he's giving us. God, see us be faithful with it. And to advance his cause and his kingdom and his glory. So let's take time to pray now. Pray where you're at. Find some Nero. Pray with him. Pray through this list. After that, we'll have Glenn come up. We have one more thing to pray about, and then we'll be dismissed.